0: Thank you again for allowing me to spread God's Word. Hopefully, uh, after my lesson, last Lord's Day, when you saw a pencil this week, you had all other thoughts. That's something I'd like to encourage us to do is everything you see. What if you see a tree growing, a pretty flower, and you see that $100 bill this week? Just think of at least five ways that you can use whatever it is To teach someone about God. That way when uh, the Lord opens the door to you and gives you the opportunity to teach someone about him, you won't reach up and shut the door and think about it. You'll have something on your mind at least get get the ice broken and and get it started. You know, last Lord's Day we we talked about some simple lessons that we could uh, talk about. uh, Four different lessons that we can learn from a pencil, that we can use to tell someone a spiritual message. We looked at a pencil was created by a designer for a purpose, just as we are created by a designer, which is God, and that we are also created for a purpose. We looked at a pencil must be guided by someone, depending on who it is being guided by. will determine how it will be used Now, in a similar situation. We are all guided by something in our lives. But the difference is we have a choice on what we will be guided by. The faithful will allow themselves to be guided by the Word of God. We talk about how a pencil bears a mark which shows who created it and who it belongs to. When we obey the gospel and baptize into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are given a mark by the Holy Spirit which shows that we are a child of God and we belong to God. Everyone else bears the mark of the world and will be lost. And the fourth lesson that we learned last Lord's Day was the most important part of a pencil is what's on the inside, which is the lead. The most important part of man is what's on the inside also. It's our soul and our spirit. Now this morning I'm going to continue on with a couple of more. I'm going to look at four more spiritual lessons that we can learn from a pencil. The fifth thing we learn about a pencil is that it must be sharpened in order to function at its best. You know, in the same way, a Christian must continue to sharpen himself word of word of God before, he, if he does not, then he'll become dull. Like we talked about in our a little bit in our Bible study this morning. We have to study God's word or we'll become dull. Now, the writer of Hebrews. Rebuked his listeners from being dull. Hebrews 5, verses 9 through 14. It says, And having been perfect, perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, and called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk, not solid food. Verse 13 says for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word righteousness for he has obeyed. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. One way that we can make sure that we continue to stay sharp is by making God's word part of our daily life. The more we neglect taking time out of our busy lives to read and to study God's Word, to meditate on it, then the duller we're going to become. That's what happened to the people that we just read about. They allowed themselves to become complacent and some of them had stopped assembling with the saints on a regular basis. we warned against this in Hebrews 10 and 25. Though they should have been teachers of God's word by now, they were still like newborn babies, still needed milk to be fed instead of meat. How many Christians do you know that have been in church for many years, yet they're still in need of just milk? It's sad when Christians choose to neglect the words of life that will prepare them for heaven. We need to study God's word daily. Ever wondered, What would happen if we treated our Bibles the way we treat our cell phones? What if we carried it around in our purses or our pockets? What if we flipped through it several times a day? What if we turned back and went back to get it if we forgot it at home? What if we used it to receive messages from the text? What if we treated it like we couldn't live without it? What if we gave it to our kids as gifts? What if we used it when we traveled? What if we used it in case of emergency? What if we used it to find the directions of where we're going and how to get the best way to get there? This is something to make you go, hmm, where's my Bible? One more thing. Unlike our cell phone, we don't have to worry about our Bible being disconnected because Jesus has already paid the bill. Makes you stop and think, where are my priorities? And another good thing about it is no drop couples. When Jesus died on the cross, he was thinking about each and every one of us. We do not have any valid excuses that we can use for not allowing ourselves to be sharpened by the Word of God. And readily available to us in all kinds of ways. We have it written print, we have it in digital form, we have it on TV, we have it on CDs, and some of us still got the cassette tapes, they have it on cassette tape. The Word of God is available to us. We must make reading and meditating on God's Word a priority in our life. Sometimes when we're traveling down the highway, instead of listening to a radio station or something, we can put in one of those CDs and just let it read the Bible to you. Or flip it over on our phone and pull it up and let it read. People say, well, I don't want to listen to someone else's doctrine if they're just reading straight out of God's Word. Then it's not their doctrine, it's God's Word. We should study God's Word enough to know whether if they're trying to slip something in on us or not. Because I, I found it interesting, I'm trying to pull it back up, but I've seen about five or six different things when translation, would how it would vary down in some verses even, or some translation would even omit some of the verses that are in. And we warned about that, not to add to or take away. But when we do, we we will be blessed and be able to function our best as a Christ-like example. If a pencil could feel pain, which thankful it does not, it would be painful for it had to be sharpened every time. And it would be necessary to help it remain sharp. Now in a similar way, our faithfulness to God will be sharpened through the trials that we face and endure. As James said in James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. James 1 and 12 also tells us that, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Sometimes increasing our faith and our affection of Christ-like examples can be very painful. But many times it's necessary to help keep us sharp so that we can keep our focus on our loving God and keep trust trusting Him and serving Him. Now while growing in the grace of our God can be challenging, let us understand the importance of our trials and our tribulations and use them to grow closer to God. It will be worth it in the end. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory as we discussed this morning in our Bible study. How Paul went through all kinds of trials and tribulations. He was actually uh, physically assaulted and carried him, but yet he kept his, his heart and his mind focused on God's word. Even Job, when Job was faced with all these trials and tribulation and everything, even though his friends and his wife was asking him, you know, just deny God and go on. He didn't. He kept, he didn't uh, jump ship. He stayed on it. And we see how he was blessed in the end. Now the sixth thing that we can learn about a pencil is that and this is one thing that Carolee was quick to point out to me last weekend, Marcia, that, you know, it has an eraser. So when we make a mistake, we can rub it out and try again. You know, in a similar way, Jesus' blood has made it possible for us to rub out the sin that's in our lives. Now, he didn't say cover it up or rub it out just so that we could do it again a little better without getting caught of what we were doing. God sees everything. Christ died for us on the cruel cross and suffered the shame so that we could receive the forgiveness of our sins. While it's wonderful to be able to, as I said, to erase the word or line that we messed up on, to be able to wipe out all the mistakes that were made in our lives so that we could try again is the greatest gift ever given. Now, I I didn't say so that we can sin again. I say get forgiveness of that sin, learn from that sin and try to live Christ's life. I'm certainly thankful for God allowing me to have my sins forgiven, forgotten, that it brings a smile to my face, knowing how our loving our God is that he made forgiveness available for everyone who chooses it. Unfortunately, some choose not to raise sin out of their life because they are too proud to admit their faults or to humble themselves before God. They are too stubborn to change their ways. Another thing we learned about that pencil's eraser is that yes, it, it does remove pencil mark, but the impression that's made on the page will still remains. The same thing is true when it comes to our sins. Yes, we can and we'll be forgiven of our sins when we repent and confess them to God. But the impression of our sins will remain because the consequences of our sin will not be undone. For example, if we choose to harm our bodies and taking drugs or abusing alcohol and our liver begins to fail and our teeth falls out, those things cannot be and will not change, even though we have been forgiven of the sin itself. (laughs) Another example would be someone killing another person. Yes, they can be forgiven of this murderous act, but they cannot bring that person back to life. They cannot take away the void the pain that's in the heart of that person's family and friends. The best advice I give you is to do your best not to sin in the first place. Just because our sins can be rubbed out does not mean that we should have the attitude that we can just commit sin and rub it out because the consequences and their lasting effects will linger on and could even eventually destroy our lives. So let us do our best to live our lives in such a way that we do not have to use our eraser all the time. The seventh thing that we learn from a pencil is that it will leave a mark. Of course, the mark it leaves depends on the hands of God. As I mentioned last Lord's Day, just as a pencil, we all leave a mark. But it's up to us what kind of mark we leave. If we want to be pleasing to God, and had the hope of eternal life, then the mark we leave must be based upon the Word of God. Not our interpretation of the Word of God, but upon the Word of God. We never underestimate the power of influence upon others. Our actions do matter. How we act around people and live our lives can make the difference between someone being led to Christ or someone being separated and driven away from Christ. If we say that we're a christian and profess to be christian but we go out and treat people cruelly do you think they're going to see the love that in christ's family no we got to show christ and the way that christ said he said well i'm not sure exactly how christ would handle that situation if we studied god's word enough he revealed it to us how he handles every situation sometimes People might have the false impression that what they do does not really matter. I mean, just one person doing it's not really going to matter. But when people say stuff like that, we think about the widow lady that we read about in Mark 12, starting in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came in and threw in two mice which made a quarry. Verse 43 says that, So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given in the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Many times, those that are rich have a great influence on them. Those around them. And they use their money to help push their influence. But that's the way of the world. In our text, we get a glimpse into what God sees and how he considers a good example that is worth following. As I say, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. From a worldly perspective, the widow might be a burden on society. Her meager two little mites might be worth it the time to even bend over and pick them up off the sidewalks. But from Jesus' perspective, he saw a lady who loved the Lord, was willing to give all that she had to the Lord. Her heart was in the right place. She was giving from her heart and not for show, which is why her two mites were worth more than a rich man given out of their abundance. Though she was, poor, it was a poor widow lady, who only gave two mouths? The Word of God records that the great example for us, and shows us how Jesus used her mark. She was making that day to teach his disciples a great lesson. So, do you ever think that what you do does not matter? Maybe it's insufficient, because everything you do, whether it be small or large, can be influenced. Can influence others in a way that you probably never even dreamed of. Because when we serve God with our heart, when we show God without, without heart, and only do it for show enough, we are leaving the kind of mark that's going to separate us. What we need to do, we need to leave a mark that has heart in it. We need to leave a mark that God wants us to do. Leave that mark for God's work and not just not for show. Then we are leaving the kind of mark that God wants us to. Now, of course, the main ways that we can make sure that we're leaving a mark that we influence others in a positive way is by following the advice of James. James chapter one, verses nineteen and twenty, tells us: "So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God." One of the biggest things that can cause us to leave a negative mark in this life is by being quick to speak and quick to wrath. I'm sure that we all probably know someone who's quick to speak and quick to wrath, just as long as that's not the person we see when we look in the mirror. We need to train ourselves to keep our mouths quiet shut, allow ourselves to listen to what is being said, give ourselves time to fully understand, then we'll be able to answer in a way the hope will be positive and be able to keep our anger under control. We see in James 1 and 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If we ever hope to leave a good mark in our life and be an example, then we need to be, we must train ourselves to hate sin. Keep it out of our lives. The way that we do this is by humbly receiving the instruction from God's Word because it will save our souls and teach us how to be the positive influence that we should be. Now going on down in James 1, 22 through 25 tells us, But be doers of the world, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing the natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25 said, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. It's enough just to read God's word know what it says. The Pharisees knew God's word. But the problem was they didn't obey the Word, or they didn't practice the Word. So I say, is that just enough just to read it? We need to study God's Word. We need to meditate on God's Word. We need to take and put, live God's Word and share it with others with contact with it, which is why, and the way that the Pharisees were doing it wasn't the right way, which is why Jesus rebuked them sharply in Matthew 23, So if we want to make a good mark in this life, then we need to be doers of God's Word. We have to put it into practice, otherwise it would not benefit any of us. Anyone can tell you that hands-on experience is the best way to learn something and become better at it. Say, for example, someone could uh, read how to do open heart surgery. They could read all the books on open heart surgery and look at it on the computer and everything. But if they've never done it with their hands, would you want that to be the person doing your open heart surgery, or would you want the person who has read it, studied it, practiced it, and actually done it successfully to do your open heart surgery? The answer is obvious. You'd want the one who has actually done open heart surgery. So let us not be hearers of God's word only, but let us be doers of His word. When we put into practice, when we uh, put His word into practice we will be blessed. Going on down in James chapter 1, verse 26, tells us, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Once again, James emphasized the need for us to control our words because he knows fully well that in order for us to make a good impression on someone, we must follow the advice of Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Colossians 4 and 6 tells us, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with soul, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Now, while the world do not care what kind of mark they leave, Christians must always be concerned about what kind of mark we leave. It must be very careful with the words that we use because Jesus said in Matthew, 20, Matthew 12, 36, 37, but I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by their word, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, the eighth thing we learn about a pencil is that its time is limited. Eventually, after much use and many sharpenings, it can no longer be used. In a similar way, you and I have an expiration date. Now, some of us will live a short life. Others will live a long, longer life. But one thing is for sure, that we all die in the end, that our time on this earth will be over. Unlike the pencil, we have a choice in how we live our life, what we accomplish with it. Let us do our best to make the most of the time that we have here on earth to do the good work for God. We must realize that we cannot change what has already happened in the past. We must learn to move on, like Paul says in Philippians 3, 13. Philippians 3, 13 through 15. It says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the promise of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 15 it says, Therefore let us, as many as mature, have this mind. Since We cannot go back in time and change the past. Let us use what time we have left on this earth to live our lives for God and do everything in our powers to lead others to Christ. So that they can have the same hope of eternal life that each and every one of us do. Of course, another big difference between us and a pencil is, once a pencil is used up, it's discarded. Never seen again. But God has made it possible to us to live forever. Yes, our physical our physical bodies will return to dust, but our souls and our spirits will live on. We'll be given a new spiritual body, just like the one that Christ has right now, that will last forever. So let us rejoice in what God has done for us. Not fear physical death, but see it as time of great rejoicing. Because then we will be with the Lord. Now there you have it. We've learned eight simple spiritual lessons from a pencil. And in closing, I want to share a little parable with you. You probably already guessed what it's going to be. The parable of a pencil. The pencil maker took the pencil aside just before putting them in the box. There are five things you need to know, he told the pencil. Before I send you out into the world, always remember them, when you will become the best pencil you can be. You will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in someone's hand. You will experience a painful sharpening from time to time, but you'll need it to become a better pencil. You will be able to correct any mistakes that you make the most important part of you will always be what's inside. On every surface you are used on, you must leave your mark. No matter what the condition, you must continue to write. The pencil understood and promised to remember and went into the box with purpose in its heart. Now put yourself in the pencil's place. Always remember these five rules and never forget and you will become the best person, the best Christian you can be. You will be able to do many great things, but only if you allow yourself to be held in God's hand. And allow other human beings to assess you for many gifts that you possess. You will experience a painful sharpening from time to time by going through various trials, tribulations, and problems, but you'll need it to become a stronger person. You will be able to correct any mistake that you make. The most important part of you will always be what's on inside. And in fifth, on every surface you walk through, you must leave your mark. No matter what the situation, you must continue to do your duties. The only way we can do this correctly is by studying God's Word, the Instructional Manual for Life. Study God's Word. And I don't mean just read it. I mean read it, meditate upon it, read it again, and share it with others we come in contact with. We need to come to the uh, assembly every opportunity we have so that we can not only get encouragement for ourselves, but encourage one another. When we face with trials and tribulations, we need to carry it to our, our Heavenly Father in prayer. We need to rely on our Christian family, to help us, give us support, and come through it. So whatever you need may be this morning, maybe you need to be baptized, become a child of God, or if you already have been and you've stepped out of your way or you're faced with these trials and tribulations, you need the prayers and the encouragement of the congregation. Whatever need, we ask you to come forward at this time. We stand and sing our song of invitation.